thank you for being here this morning, or this morning, this evening. Am I a little bit of a creature habit? I think so. So this evening, thank you for being here. And uh, some of the folks that uh, would normally be here are not here. They're in other rooms in the overflow areas. So if you're on the overflow, uh, shout out to you as uh, you're in the overflow areas, keeping some social distancing. We appreciate that. And uh, also, I know many are also tuning in from other places uh, that uh, are watching, uh, both here in the area of uh, the metro Kansas City and all over the world, literally. So again, we welcome you to the services tonight, and it's somewhere it's morning. So if you're joining us there, and we praise the God, I was accurate. Uh, so uh, Lord bless you. It's good to see everybody. I, a lot of folks that we uh, have known, so a lot of folks we have not known and met the last couple of days has been incredible. I, I see Dell Thomas here. Thank you, Dell. Dell's been organizing things for Midtown. Your folks have been tremendous, so we appreciate all the help. And uh, for all the Midtown folks and the Harvest folks and the Cornerstone, I think, yeah, you're here. So Dwayne Acre, man, Dwayne, Pastor Dwayne Acre is with us, and I appreciate having you in from Cornerstone and God's country up north of the river all the way down here. So, uh, man, we love having you. You guys have worked all day long, and so we got more work after this. So we're glad that you've come. And that's a working pastor right there. So, Dwayne, uh, did you get your bag and your T-shirt and all the goodies? All right. They set you up. All right. So that's Steve set you up. Awesome. So we're glad to have you with us. And are there any other visiting pastors that I have missed or overlooked? Because I don't want to do that. I want to thank you for coming. Of course, Dave and, man, Dave Nebel, uh, man, he is celebrating their, their 36th wedding anniversary, Dave and Anita. So, man, thanks for celebrating that with us, man. Man, you're awesome. So we appreciate you. So Dave is a missionary and a pastor, and so we're going to have you with us as well. And a friend. <laughs> yeah, bro. I suppose that was just a hint just to kind of get you going. So, yeah, praise the Lord. So it's good to have you all here. Thank you for everybody. that uh, We had a guest come in from uh, the Philippines today, just off the streets, just wandered in, literally a missionary, church planning pastor, uh, so uh, working with Greg Lyons out of Springfield, well, actually out of the Philippines. But uh, So God's doing some crazy stuff, dropping people in. And we've had our challenges, but none of them were, uh, were, they were, we have not had one challenge that was not something that was appointed uh, or allowed, right? So we praise God for that. And so we're trusting the Lord and all that. And, and I just want to uh, thank you all for the, all the effort. We've had a tremendous turnout. And the knowledge and the nourishment that we had at lunch today was outstanding as well. And so we really, really enjoyed uh, Pastor Mark and, and what God brought through him uh, this morning. And just the fellowship, a large turnout all day uh, into the evening. And we just really appreciate everybody putting their hand on the, in the fingerprints in the Word of God uh, so that the footprints uh, will be going where they need to go in Malawi. So God God bless you. So with that, I want to just turn everything over, or turn the rest of this over to Randy. He's going to give us an update so he can bring us up to speed on where we are. And, uh, and then uh, uh, Pastor Mark will be coming up to preach. I want to say uh, ditto to uh, what Brian said about getting things done and about uh, God has anointed everything, whether it's a good or a bad. And We've got a rough week this week because we've had some problems, but uh, that's okay. Uh, I'll tell you more about those in just a minute. Just, but I do want to—I want to give God the glory because even in the midst of all those problems, we were able to get—it's it's not everything, but it's 1,326 Bibles in the box. Amen to that. That's right because they're done. We don't have to touch those again. We just have to ship them. 
we still have a lot of work to do. I'll give you at the end of the service, I'll give you uh, your marching orders about where you can serve and what you, where you can be. But um, So we've got uh, uh, th that number in the box. But not only that, but even if you look over to these tables over here, those are ready to get cut. If our, if our trimmer was working properly, they would be in a box. So there's about 5,400 ready to cut. So we've got 12, 12, 1,300 in a box, 5,400 ready to get in a box and another 600 ready to go into a binder. So uh, so we're making progress, amen. Even with uh, with problems and, and, and obstacles in the way, we are making progress. And it's all because of you, because of your faithfulness to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and do what needs to be done to get his word to the place where God wants it to be. And so I'm thankful for that. I know, um, I know God is too. And so I'll give you instructions on where to go, what to do after the service ends or just before the service ends to kind of wrap things up. But uh, I just want you to know I'm thankful for everybody being here, and I'm encouraged by seeing people serve and work, uh, eating and fellowshipping and just having a really good time. And every place I turn around, somebody's doing something, and it's just really good. So I appreciate that. Um, just keep, continue to pray uh, for, for this, the, the, uh, the work that needs to be done because we have 25000 total to get in the box and get shipped. So we got a lot of work to do. Thank you. Randy, and thank y'all. How's everybody? Are y'all worn out yet? <laughs> Who said yeah? <laughs> All right. I bet Randy is worn out. Bless your heart. Did you get a nap today, bro? <laughs> yeah, that's what I say. Oh, no. He didn't get a nap. But uh, thanks for, for coming out tonight. Uh, yes, tonight. I, I, I said tonight, and I'm thinking, I, oh, I should have said this morning. Um, but uh, if you would open your Bible to Psalm 10. And, uh, you know, yesterday morning, uh, I kind of looked at that message as rather encouraging. It was for me. Tonight isn't discouraging, but I, I got to just tell you, the psalmist is not mincing for words in Psalm 10. Uh, this, is, this is not Psalm 23. This isn't Psalm 91, some of my favorite in, in all of the Bible. What, what's happening in, in Psalm 10 is, man, the psalmist is just being raw. Uh, I think the way that we might even say that today is he was just being real. I mean, there is no pretense about anything that he says in this passage. He is not thinking about being eloquent. Uh, you know, there's acrostic psalms in, in the, the book of Psalms where the psalmist is taking the time and the energy, and of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But you're going to make sure that all of the stanzas begin with the same letter of the alphabet. And, and oh, my goodness, those things are beautiful. And it's wonderful. And all of those things have their place. But in Psalm 10, that's, that's not what this psalm is all about. This isn't where the psalmist's heart is. In fact, the, the psalmist, I, I think we could say in this, in this psalm, 
he's confused. Have you ever been there in your walk with the Lord? Where you just look at it and you go, I, I can't figure what, out, what, what God's doing in this situation. But, but listen, even more than being confused, the psalmist is actually frustrated in this passage. And the crazy thing to me about Psalm 10 being in the Bible is that the psalmist is actually voicing his frustration to God. You know, I, I hear people, you know, talk about how raw they get with God. I, you know, it's, it's, I, I've never been in a place in my life where I felt like I could do that. And again, I'm not dissing anybody because the psalmist, in, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is actually doing that in, his, in this psalm. And, and if you want to know what it is that he's frustrated about, he reveals the source of it in the last verse of Psalm 10, verse 18. He's, he's, he's frustrated over what he sees taking place in the world with regard to the fatherless or the orphans and the oppressed namely the the poor listen that's what this psalm is actually about it's about the orphans it's about the poor it's about the oppressed and it's going to take us a few minutes tonight to see how but the message that i want to get from all of this is that jesus will answer the cries of the oppressed He will. But if you want to see what I'm talking about, what I'm telling you that he's frustrated with God, we don't even have to get past the first verse because listen to what the psalm says to the Lord, mind you, in verse 1. Why standest thou afar off, Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? Again, I don't know how that hits you. That, that's just strong, y'all. That, that is raw. I, I, I work in a, a field in the world that is uh, it's full of orphans, man. It's full of the oppressed. It's full of widows. It's... You know, I've been to a lot of countries, man. The poverty, unbelievable. Uh, and I, I had quite a few other pictures that I wanted to show you for time's sake. I just, as I was going over the message, I was like, there's no time for us to hit all of them. But could I just introduce you to a little girl by the name of Linda? Uh, she lives in the... Bulunguzi villages uh, in, in Malawi, Africa. And you see this little girl on the right. And uh, she, she, like little kids, you can see her age there. Uh, they don't always obey at that age. And so her 14-year-old mother, which happens a lot in Malawi, was frustrated, and so what she did is she took 
her own little girl's hands and put them in the fire, and you can see the result of, of that. That's the kind of stuff the psalmist is talking about. God, where are you? This next is a, is a lady in, in the villages. She, uh, a widow, has no family members survive, surviving. Uh, and listen, we go into these villages and this is the stuff that we find. Lonely women. Some of them that are literally bent over in half because of carrying logs on their head for years and years. And I mean literally are bent over and can't make it and have no surviving family. And so as we get back into verse 1 of Psalm 1, the psalmist is, is saying, God. How, how can you allow yourself to be so disconnected from all of the people on this planet who are the most vulnerable to the wicked? And how could you allow yourself to be so far removed from the people who so desperately need you? What the psalmist is voicing in verse 1 and in this psalm is, is, God, it seems like in the times and the places that you should be most present, it seems that that's when and where you seem to be most absent. And the psalmist's question is, how could this be? How in the world? Could the God of the universe just sit idly by? And what we find here is that the psalmist is allowing himself to do what very, very few people ever do. And that is to look outside of ourselves and look beyond the comfortable little life that we've created for ourselves so that we can actually see what's really happening in the world and the very real atrocities that are happening all over this entire planet tonight. I, I want to share with you an excerpt from a, a third century letter. Okay, so a guy writing in the 200s, okay? He, he, you may have, if those of you that have studied church history, you may have heard of Cyprian. He's writing to Donatus, his friend in North Africa. And, and Cyprian writes to him, and he says this. This seems a cheerful world, Donatus. When I view it from this fair garden, under the shadow of these vines. But if I climb some great mountain and looked out over the wide lands, you know very well what I would see. Brigands or bandits on the high roads, pirates on the sea, in the amphitheaters, men murdered to please applauding crowds, under all roofs, misery and selfishness. It is really... Bad world, Donatus. 
incredibly bad world. And Cyprian very eloquently surfaces this, this crazy tendency that we have as humans not to want to face the view of the world from the reality of the mountain that he's talking about here. But we like to get down into the valley and create a little fair garden for ourselves. And again, I'm not trying to, to diss you. I'm talking about mankind in general. I'm talking about Laodicea and Christianity. We, we like to get in this little fair garden because if, if I don't have to see what's going on in the world, then I don't have to think about what's going on in the world. And if I don't have to think about what's going on in the world, then I don't have to grieve over it. And if I don't have to grieve over it, then I don't have to do anything about it. And if I don't have to feel the responsibility to do anything about it, then I never have to adjust my lifestyle or interrupt my schedule or my plans. I can, I can just stay comfortable in my little fair garden. I think the biblical word for it might be lukewarm. I can just go along and it's all just pretty doggone nice. The Bible, of course, tells us that in the last days it's going to be perilous and it's going to be perilous, he tells us, because of one overriding characteristic of the last days. He lists about 20 things in that passage in 2 Timothy 3. But the first thing on the list is where all the others come from. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. And, you know, I don't know how 2 Timothy 3, 2 manifests itself in, in your life, but I can tell you in mine that, guys, I wake up every single day of my life with great compassion and concern for me. And it's the craziest thing in the world. I, I need to be reminded of a lot of stuff, but I never have to be reminded of me. I don't need anybody to prompt me to make sure that I'm completely comfortable because I work really hard to get to that place. And I don't need to set alarms on any of my little devices reminding me to always have my own best interest in mind and in the forefront of my mind and in the forefront of my decisions. And, and yet, I must confess, there are times when I do find the compassion of my heart broadening out to include all of the people in the world that are in my family. And there have even been times when, man, I'm on this spiritual mountaintop, when I have compassion that spreads to include all of the people in the world that I like. 
and that like me and are like me. And, and you see, it's, it's easier that way because if I can just stay in my little fair garden and stay away from the mountain of reality the psalmist is viewing the world from in Psalm 10, where I actually don't have to, if I don't have to see the orphans, and if I don't have to see the widows, and if I don't have to see the extreme poverty and the oppression of the wicked upon these people, then I can just, you know, float along pretty good in my little 21st century Christianity where I listen to my Jesus is my boyfriend songs and I'm receiving sloppy wet kisses from him, how that ever made it into a lyric of a song, shoot me. <laughs> I, I can just keep coming to my, my Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church where I can just keep cramming more and more information in my head when I have absolutely no strategy for actually utilizing that information and I can just keep giving my 10% and a little bit more to missions so that I ease my guilty conscience about those, those people that I kind of know are out there somewhere. But if I can do all of that from the confines of my fair garden, then I never have to ask myself, what is my responsibility to get the gospel to the 750 children in this world who will starve to death while I'm running my fat trap in this service tonight? 750 that'll die in this amount of time. 18,000 that will die today. 126,000 that will die this week. 6.5 million who will die of starvation and related causes this year. And can I remind you that this is just the children. And so if I can just view the world from the fair garden of my, my church building, then I never have to consider what is my responsibility to comfort the millions of broken-hearted little boys and girls in Africa and other parts of the world who have lost both of their parents and their grandparents and their uncles, millions of them living in the streets, millions of others that are being raised by their siblings, and their siblings are 14 and 15 years of age. I mean, th this is the, the world that we deal with in, in Malawi, where these Bibles are going. And listen, all over the world, little kids are going to cry themselves to sleep tonight with no one to care for them, no one to comfort them. I know it sounds cheesy to us men, no one to cuddle them for crying out loud, no one to teach them, no one to protect them. No one to let them know that Jesus loves them. And if I can just stay in the shade of my little fair garden, not only do I have not have to think about it, I don't, I don't have to do anything. 
But in Psalm 10, what we find here is that the psalmist had, he stepped out of his fair garden. He, he climbed what Cyprian called the mountain of reality. And, and he, he's looking at what's really happening in the world And what the psalmist found is the same thing that Cyprian did, that it's a really bad world and incredibly bad world. And I think the reason that we don't like to talk about it is because sometimes when we do, we get overwhelmed, right? I mean, we almost get beside ourselves And again, that's where the psalmist found himself. And that's what caused him to exclaim to God in verse 1. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? And it's obvious that the the psalmist is disillusioned uh, by the fact that from his vantage point, that the the all-knowing, the... The all everywhere at the same time present God that can do anything that he, with all of that power, that God just sits idly by and allows there to be such continual oppression being meted out on on such helpless people. And beginning in verse 2, he begins to describe what actually happens Listen, y'all, in a major part of the world, it was happening in the psalmist's day. And I know this is intense, y'all, but we've got to understand this is happening in the world today. He begins to describe in verse 2, the, the wicked, he says, in his pride doth persecute the poor. In verse 3, he says, the, the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire. In other words, the wicked boasts or brags about what he's going to do to the poor. In verse 4, he says, the wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. And again, he's saying here, it's just written all over the wicked's face, man. They have no intention of ever seeking God. God is not so much as a blip on their radar. In verse 5, he says, The wicked's ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. In other words, they're not even a consideration. As for all his enemies, this is the wicked. He puffeth at them. In verse 6, the psalmist says, The wicked think they're invincible. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. In other words, nobody's going to mess with me. In verse 7, he talks about the mouth of the wicked, and he says his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. You can never believe anything that he says. The wicked are, are just... A, a bunch of foul-mouthed, lying cheats. Verse 8 says that he, he, he's lurking in the villages, hiding out in the secret places, just waiting for some opportunity to take advantage of innocent people and especially the poor, and not just to take advantage of them, but to, are you seeing it? To murder them. Verse 9, he hides like a lion and he's just waiting to, 
violence prey. Verse 10, he, he positions himself to take advantage of the poor. Verse 11 says in, with his attitude, and God ain't going to do jack about it. Which makes the psalmist say in verse 12, Come on, God. Lift up your hand. Smack the devil out of these people. Do something for the people of the world who've been so humbled by their circumstances. Verse 13. Why do you let the the wicked view you with contempt and despise you? Verse 15, come on, God, break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. And, and, okay, we can breathe now. But the psalmist, y'all, he's on a rant. Come on, God, do your thing. Answer the cries of the oppressed. Okay, now, now let's just dig a little bit deeper in, in the passage. Now notice that as we were coming through that, that he's talking about the wicked. Let me just quickly remind you, verse 2, it, it says, The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Verse 3, For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire. Verse 4, The wicked through the pride of his countenance. Verse 13, Wherefore doth the wicked contemn God or view God with contempt or despise him? Verse 15, Break thou the arm of the the wicked. So again, he's talking about the fact that it is the wicked who are the ones who oppress the orphans and it's the wicked who oppress the poor. But have you ever asked yourself why? I mean, for real now, y'all. How is it that human beings, that somehow we have this ability to be so heartless and inhumane to the most vulnerable and helpless people on this planet? I mean, you just got to look at that and say, what is it that drives that? And listen, y'all, this passage gives us great insight into that question. And here's the key. Yes, Psalm 10 is definitely about the wicked in a broad or in a generic sense. But when we look at the doctrinal or the prophetic application of what's happening in this passage, this passage, don't miss this now, is talking about a man who will be manifested on the earth in the very near future during the tribulation period. And this psalm, in a prophetic sense, is actually pointing to that time to the time of tribulation. Notice in verse 1 again that the psalmist says, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why why hidest thou thyself? Watch this now. In times of trouble. And that phrase, anytime that you see it in the Old Testament, it's setting the context for you, pointing prophetically to an intense time of trouble on this planet that we commonly refer to as the tribulation period or the time of Jacob's his trouble. And, and one of the things that makes that time so 
troublesome is the presence of a man on this planet who will actually be the embodiment of wickedness. He's the one who's referred to in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8 as that wicked. And notice in this verse the capitalization in our King James Bible of that word wicked. Again, he is that specific one who is the personification of evil and wickedness. And of course, we understand this one that is being described is none other than the Antichrist. And do you know who the Antichrist is? I I mentioned this yesterday morning, which seems like it was three days ago to me for some reason. I don't know why. But the Antichrist is Satan in human flesh. In the same way that the Lord Jesus Christ was God in human flesh or God in a human body, the Antichrist is Satan in human flesh. It is Satan in a human body. And Psalm 10 is actually a psalm talking about the tribulation period when that wicked shall be revealed, that time when Psalm 10, 18 refers to him as the man of the earth is oppressing the fatherless and the poor. But listen now, what this psalm actually does is reveal to us, as does many other psalms and the book of Proverbs, and then, of course, very specifically in the New Testament, What it reveals to us is that the Antichrist will actually operate in the world by a spirit. That's very key. The Antichrist, when he comes, is going to operate by a spirit. And it is a wicked spirit that 1 John 4, 3 calls the spirit of Antichrist. It's the same spirit that Paul's talking about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7 that he refers to as the mystery of iniquity. Okay, but here's the key point. Even though the Antichrist has not yet been revealed, that Antichrist spirit is already operative. 2 Thessalonians 2.7 says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. No, it ain't working through the Antichrist yet. But that Antichrist spirit is here, and it's working even as we speak. 1 John 4 verse 3 says in the middle of the verse, And This is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof whereof ye heard that it should come, watch this now, and even now, is it in, it's now already, is it in the world? And listen, y'all, it's been around, that spirit of Antichrist, it's been around ever since the fall and that's why 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12, when it talks about Cain, and why was it that he murdered his brother? It says, and Cain, who was of that wicked one. 
1 John chapter 2 and verse 18 says, Little children, it is the last time as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Okay, that's the Antichrist. Even now, there are many Antichrists. And listen, that's what Psalm 10 is letting us know along with countless other psalms, and again, as I mentioned, the book of Proverbs. Yes, the Antichrist is coming. That wicked, the personification and embodiment of wickedness is going to be manifested on this planet, I believe, in the very near future. But that same spirit of Antichrist by which he will operate is operating all over this planet tonight. Not just in Malawi, but in the metro Kansas City area as well. And that's why there's all kinds of evil and wickedness being meted out on the fatherless and the widows and the poor. And, and we, we asked earlier, well, where, does it, where does this come from? How can humans be so inhumane? It's being driven by the same satanic spirit of Antichrist. And what's crazy, y'all, is that most Christians really don't understand that that's what takes place in the world every single day. What's taking place, y'all, is a battle between the spirit of Christ as he seeks to operate through those who have been born again by the spirit of Christ. And that battle is with the spirit of Antichrist as it seeks to operate to those, uh, through those who have been blinded by the spirit of Antichrist. And whereas the spirit of Antichrist is characterized by wickedness, the spirit of Christ is characterized by righteousness. And whereas the spirit of Antichrist is characterized by oppression, the spirit of Christ is characterized by compassion. And whereas the spirit of Antichrist is characterized by denial of the Father and the Son, 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, the spirit of Christ is characterized by the denial of self. And, and let me say to you, wow, there's not much more of a travesty in the universe Listen to this. Then somebody who has been born again by the Spirit of Christ, still living their life under the influence or the domination of the Spirit of Antichrist. And yet, in the 21st century, I'm afraid that happens more times than not. People inhabited by the spirit of Christ operating by the spirit of Antichrist. Man, it, it is, it, it's a crazy thing. Jesus told us in, in Luke 12 and verse 15 that we can get ourselves really confused about what life is all about 
and we can get to the place, y'all, where we think that life is really all about the things that we possess, especially in this country. And again, y'all, it's such a travesty. I mean, think about you know, the, the spirit of Christ, of Antichrist dominating those of us who possess in our souls the very spirit of Christ. And, and so you know what happens? The spirit of Antichrist continues to operate all over the world, again, beginning right here in the Kansas City metro. It operates in the world bringing oppression to orphans and to widows and the poor, and just like the psalmist says here in Psalm 10 and verse 1, it looks like God is nowhere to be found. It looks like God doesn't care. It looks like God has turned a deaf ear to their cries. But listen, y'all, he hasn't. He hears and he cares. The psalmist says in verse 14, Lord, you have seen it. I mean, he, again, he's puked all over the place. But he says in verse 14, oh yeah, but you have seen it, haven't you? God, you do know what's up. You do see what's going on. You are the helper of the fatherless. And so he says in verse 15, break thou the arm of the wicked and evil man. In verse 16, you are the Lord and you're the king forever. So remove the oppressors out of your land. Verse 17, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Verse 18, and you will judge. You will bring justice to the fatherless and the oppressed that the man of the earth may no more oppress. But here's the kicker, y'all. And I said this at the beginning. Jesus will answer the cries of the oppressed. But when he does, we'll find that the answer to their prayers will actually be us. Do you have ears to hear that, my brothers and sisters? God's going to answer. Hallelujah. That's what the psalmist said. Yay. The answer. Those of us who have the spirit of Christ. So it, it goes like this. The spirit of Antichrist sweeps through the world, bringing oppression to the helpless and the vulnerable people on this planet. But the Lord has deposited his own spirit, the spirit of Christ in us and his plan. And it's a glorious plan. His plan is to minister to them through us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, and we, we know this. 
But I'm afraid it's just theology for us. We're the body of Christ. Do you understand? That's not random terminology. He came in a body. And he's still here in a body. One was physical and one is spiritual, but they both get called the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, y'all, we are his eyes to see their needs. And we are his ears to hear their cries. We are his feet to go where they are. We are his arms to hold them. We are his hands to touch them. We are his mouth to speak words of hope and comfort to them. To speak the gospel to them. Because, listen, y'all, the answer to the oppression that many of the people of this planet live in is not money. It is the gospel. And that's why when Jesus was here in a physical body, he says, I'm here to preach the gospel to the poor. As Americans, we think as long as we're just throwing money, well, that's the answer to the poor, right? If they ain't got money, we'll give them money. It's not the answer. The only answer is the gospel. And for those of you that think maybe I'm just, you know, some old millennial, he's talking about oppression and injustice and all of that. Well, can I just remember, remind you that in Galatians 2 and verse 10, Paul said, remember the poor. Remember them. I understand the doctrinal context of James 1.27. I, I hope nobody will send me an email. I know nobody in this church will talk to me about this. But for those of you that are watching somewhere else, don't send me an email and remind me of the context of the book of James how about we just get the heart of it, okay? Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. I'm sorry. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. It does matter how we live and it does matter what we do with our life. And, and you know why he tells us that that's pure religion and undefiled? It's because false, impure, and defiled religion operates by the spirit of Antichrist. 
and it oppresses the fatherless and widows. And it's characterized by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And so he says, listen, visit them. I do want to take my hat off to you guys because you know what you're doing with those boxes right there? Getting the gospel to the poor. You're visiting the orphans and the widows and their affliction. I don't know of anything better you could do than get that book to people like we've talked about and like the psalmist was seen in Psalm 10. Bless you for what you're doing. And listen, for some of you, that may not be enough. You may need to physically get on a plane and go visit fatherless and the widows in their affliction. And again, I, I, I look out and I, I realize physically there's some of you that are not going to be able to do that. And Malawi is not the only field of the world, believe me. <laughs> Wherever the Lord lays on your pastor's heart for this world, go there. They're everywhere. They're even in our own country. That's why Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6 says, and I'm sorry I'm so emotional. I think I've been just living in this all day and just thinking about the people that I've got to look into their faces go to their villages and see how they, they live and knowing that the answer is the gospel. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6. A father of the fatherless and a judge. In other words, one who brings justice. Judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary. Okay, we, we, we don't think of it maybe this way. Do you understand what he's saying? Those who are alone. Orphans. Widows. God setteth the solitary in families. But if, if you miss everything that I've said tonight, just please get this. The message of the scripture is that our Father in heaven is going to do that through us. That's the way he sets them in families. You 
remember at the beginning, I, I showed you little Linda, whose 14-year-old mother burned her hands in the fire. Well, we, we were able to rescue her out of that life. We have a, what's called the Passion Center for Children. I, I, I am the director of the Passion Center for Pastors, training pastors. But the, the, the ministry that actually started in Malawi is the Passion Center for Children. And uh, they, we don't normally take in uh, kids until they get to school age. But this was such an oppressive situation that we had to make, uh, we, we had to break our own rules. And I am so thrilled to report to you that uh, Linda is today in high school. She is at the top of her class uh, through the Passion Center for Children. We're connected with uh, Cure Hospital. She has had so many surgeries on that, those hands that it's, it's not funny. But you know what? She doesn't even know now that she can't function. She moves on. She loves Jesus. She's a part of the Mulanguzi Community Church and loves Jesus with all of her heart. And that widow Catherine that I was talking about, through the ministry that we have going into the villages, women have come alongside of this woman who has no relatives that we know anything about, and she's become a part of a family. That's what God does. But he does it through us. And so, if, if there's something more that you need to do, then I would say, man, pray about it. Talk with the leaders of your church about What's more that you can do? But I do want you to know, and I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, what you are doing this week is going to change the lives. And God, even if you don't get your footprints on Malawi soil, you'll have your fingerprints. And I think at the judgment seat of Christ, you'll find out that God used you to set the solitary family. Amen. That is a that's a sobering word, brother. We need that. I needed that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your throne and we thank you for the, the word.